I mean, it's like Bella Andre was dumped by her publisher. Um, they didn't think that there was a market for her work. And she's like, I think you're wrong. And, you know, she went out and hustled and, you know, she took off. But she's also very, very smart at marketing. I mean, boy, does she know her numbers. And she and Barbara Freedy and a bunch of others out in the San Francisco area get together once a week or every two weeks and, like, put their numbers on the table and go, look, I tried this and it did work or it didn't work. And they're sharing their know-how and they're all learning together. Welcome to The Author Biz, the show that's all about the business of being an author. I'm your host, Stephen Campbell, and this is episode number 41. Wherever you are, however you listen, thanks for spending some of your time with me today. This episode is a little bit of a change for us, and I think it's something you're really going to enjoy. This week, we're speaking with a film producer rather than an author, but we're talking about books. Specifically, we're talking about the romance market with Emmy Award-winning film producer Lori Kahn. Lori is in Toronto at the world premiere of her new film, Love Between the Covers, a documentary about the romance market. She actually followed a group of authors around for several years, learning about and understanding how they go about their business and the the ins and outs of being a successful romance author in today's changing world of publishing. I saw an article online earlier this week from Emma Titel, the article title was Why Romance Novelists Are the Rock Stars of the Literary World. And they totally are the rock stars of the literary world. Uh, Romance Market sells a ton of books. It's well over a billion dollars a year. And in general, they don't get as much respect as many people feel that they deserve. Anyway, I caught up with Lori in Toronto. She's at the Hot Docs Film Festival, which is the largest North American documentary film festival. And between meetings and drumming up interest in distribution for her film, we had the opportunity to talk about the film and what she learned in in following these authors and talking with them over the course of several years. What she did was to follow five established authors and one newbie for fairly long periods period of time, and then she put this film together. The project was originally, the startup funding came through Kickstarter, and then she went out and found additional funding, and the movie is now complete, and it, it showed to packed houses in Toronto earlier this week. As you'll hear in the interview, Lori knew very little about the romance market before she got started. Her interest is primarily in communities of women, and the films she's done in the past, the documentary films, have been about communities of women, and she thought this would be interesting, so she really threw herself into it. And she learned a lot, and we're going to learn a lot in this, in this show as well. Now, if you're Nora Roberts or maybe Bella Andre and you're listening in, hey, a guy can dream, right? You probably don't need to listen because you know all this stuff already. But for the rest of us, there's a lot of good information in the interview this week. So I hope you enjoy it. Now, before we get started, a couple quick points about the survey that uh, many of you answered last week. I 
can't thank you enough for doing that because I got a ton of great information. I'm still sifting through it, and I'm going to do a special, like a 10-minute edition of the Author Biz on Thursday, where I go through the results of the survey and sort of where the show is going to be going in the future, because I'm going to make some minor adjustments to the way the, the to the direction of the show. I hope you'll tune in for that. Uh, then we'll be back to our regular every Monday schedule. Lori, welcome to the Author Biz. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> I am. So listeners understand, you are crazy busy. You are at a film festival in Toronto right now for the world premiere of your movie, Love Between the Covers. That's true. I finished the film last week, and it's having its world premiere this week, and uh, it's going really well. So it's it's kind of thrilling and exhausting. <laughs> it sounds Really thrilling. I, I read an article this morning at uh, from mclean's.ca from Emma Titel called Why Romance Novelists Are the Rock Stars of the Literary World. That's a great article. I'm going to link to it in the show notes. But through that article, I found the website for the movie, and I watched the trailer, and my jaw dropped. And I'm like, oh, my God, how can I see that movie right now? It just looks fabulous. And then I found out that I'd have to fly to Toronto this weekend to see it. So I thought maybe I could just talk to you instead. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. But I'm hoping that, I mean, what I'm doing here is talking to lots of distributors and broadcasters, and hopefully it will be available in North America, around the world, in educational markets, broadcast, even theatrical. So we'll see. I mean, this is something that any author would, would love to see. And let me, I'm, I'm going to steal from your website here. Th- this is essentially what you did in making this, this movie. For three years, you and your team followed the lives of five published romance authors and one unpublished newbie as they built their businesses, found and lost loved ones, and coped with a tsunami of change in publishing, all while earning a living, doing what they love, and empowering others to do the same. That's fabulous. <laughs> it's true, too. I know. So so it, you've been doing this for a while. You're a documentary filmmaker. Prior to that, you were a writer. You worked in newspapers or you worked for newspapers. Um, you've been doing this for a while. You've won awards for your work. What drew you to this particular project? I'm really interested in communities of women and how they function. And they function differently than a lot of other communities. And and I'm also interested in women's work. And it's striking how any industry in which it's mostly women is devalued. And I also think that women's stories don't get told enough. Um, and I was working, you know, on films about presidents and wars and disasters and thought, you know, I want to tell the stories that haven't been told. And my two previous films are about communities of women that weren't taken very seriously. And so anytime I hear of a large community, and this one is a multi-billion dollar industry, <laughs> but everyone mm-hmm. misses, you know, and that, my ears perk up. I want to hear more. Well, one of the people that I saw in the preview this morning that I watched was Sarah Wendell, who's been a guest on this show. And Sarah is, she's a quote machine. She's, she's just fabulous. She comes up with these great lines. Mm-hmm. And there was a great line in, in the preview. But when I spoke with her, uh, she talked, and you echo this in, in some of what you're communicating with, with the film, the idea that 
reading romance, it, it's basically one of the few things in the world that you could be doing, and people feel like it's okay to come up and in, insult you for doing it. It's absolutely the case. I can't tell you how many people told me that they would be on the beach or in a train, and complete strangers will walk up and say, why do you read that trash? And they wouldn't do it to a man who was reading Stephen King or David Baldacci. Um, they don't insult people who watch Sylvester Stallone films. I mean, there's something really seriously gendered going on here. I was talking about our conversation today at lunch with a friend who's a guy, and we're talking about books. He's not a real reader, and he knows that I am. And I, I mentioned the film and how interesting it was, and, and he, he started dissing romance as, as this really formulaic genre. And I'm like, wait a minute, you know, that's what mysteries are, that's, that's what I write, and, you know, there's a formula. There's a dead body, there's an investigation, and at the end, you better find out who did it, or it's a bad book. That's and right. the idea that it's that it's not okay to write a story where boy meets girl, they have some trouble in the middle, and they get together at the end, there's a happy ending, it's the same thing. It's, it's exactly. just a different audience. All genre fiction is like that. I mean, genre fiction, whether it's sci-fi, bad guys and good guys, they struggle, and by the end, the good guys win. Westerns, I mean, you know, every kind of genre fiction, that's the case, and one of the authors that I interviewed, Jane Krentz, I think quite wisely says genre fiction is where we work out archetypal virtues over and over and over again. What does it mean to be courageous, to be loyal, to be per, you know, persistent, to be able to love? And it's always those qualities that get people to their happy endings in genre fiction. The romance market is unique in in the way i think and i i noticed this when prepping for the interview with with sarah and and reading through the posts on her website and all the comments they got mm -hmm. the romance reader community is incredibly supportive not necessarily of a given book but they're supportive of one another as romance readers why do you think that is i think that Romance is not an isolated experience, typically. I mean, romance writers are very involved in social media. They get to know their authors. They want to get to know their authors. And it's not just from afar. I mean, they will go to events. They meet these, these authors. And it's not just a kind of, you know, adulation from afar fandom. The authors actually get to know the readers. And the readers get to know each other. And... You know, mm -hmm. from a shared love of the same books, you know, lifelong friendships are born. Um, and I was along shooting when Beverly Jenkins, who's a pioneer in African-American romance, was taking one of her, every, you know, every other year she takes a trip with her readers to some place where her books are set. And mm -hmm. we were in South Carolina, and we were visiting, you know, the first school for recently emancipated slaves, we also visited a slave market um, museum. And you don't think of that in the same breath with romance, but those women knew more history than the tour guides and kind of got through all of this together. I mean, it's not easy to go to a slave market museum as an African-American. And they felt like, you know, they were there for each other. And it's a community. I mean, it really is a tight community, and it's broad. It's a really broad community as well. You mentioned this 
get-together where people came in, and, and this author, Beverly Jenkins, took them on a tour. And, you know, while the, while the content of the tour was not traditional romance, the whole idea of, of getting your readers together exactly. with just you like that is something that's extraordinary and not something that people would think about. Yeah, and the other thing about the romance community is that the association, the Romance Writers of America, um, is 60% unpublished authors. That doesn't happen in mysteries or sci-fi or other genre fiction. Only the published ones are allowed in. And the mm-hmm. attitude is, you know, come on in, sister. We'll teach you how to do it if you're thinking about writing romance. And a lot of romance readers, writers, started as romance readers. And the more experienced writers teach workshops at these conferences on everything from, you know, writing a good sword fight to negotiating your contracts to, um, you know, how to plot your story. And a lot of communities claim to have a sort of pay-it-forward ethic. And I think it really was stunning to me that every, you know, so many people told me stories about when they started in romance, you know, someone helped them out. And they said, thank you. And the person says, no, 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 don't thank me. Pay it forward. Help somebody else behind you. Hmm. There's a sense among, there's some of that in in other genres. I'm focused primarily, when I go to conferences, they're mysteries and thriller type conferences. Mm -hmm. And and there's there's some of that that goes on. But there's also this real sense of competition. Like, if you buy my book, you're not going to buy... John's book, or if you buy John's mm-hmm. book, you're not going to buy my book. And I, I get the sense from you and, and what you've experienced in, in making this film that it's just not like that at all, that it's, it really is an all-for-one and one-for-all kind of a mentality. Well, I wouldn't go overboard. I mean, they're competitive, these women. I mean, they are really aware of who's on the New York Times bestseller list. And uh-huh. whether, you know, they made four with the last book, and this one they only made 11. Or, I mean, they're watching their numbers. But there is this sense that a rising tide lifts all boats, and that writing good romance, the more good romance it's written, the more they'll attract a loyal readership. And they also can't write quickly enough to satisfy their readers. I mean, their readers are reading, you know, a book a week or a book a day. And, you know, we've got scenes with, you know, writers, readers telling the writers, like, hurry up, hurry up, you know, the book and they'll write, like, when's the next one coming out? And they're like, hold on, hold on, I just finished that one. Did you have a sense of what the romance community was like before you started the film, or was this really an eye-opener to you? It was an eye-opener. I mean, I knew next to nothing, and I had seen some videos online, and I knew there was a romance writers, you know, conference, and I knew that there were romance reader conferences, and I knew it was huge, um, and that it was basically keeping the publishing industry afloat. And so I was curious, and I just jumped in the deep end. I read a lot before I went, and and then jumped in the deep end at a Romance Writers of America conference, and what was surprising, I mean, it wasn't surprising, but I didn't expect it, how similar it was to other women's communities that I've looked at. There are real similarities where, you know, people at Rough Cut said, is this film about the business or is this film about the community? And the answer is both. It's like they're mm-hmm. completely intertwined, um, which I think is something that women do. Where you know, my last film was about the early years of Tupperware and about Brownie Wise, who you know was a 
a, a woman who was selling Earl Tupper's products at home parties, and he found out, and she was selling more than all the department stores, and she built an empire for him by recruiting this army of Tupperware ladies. Um, and it transformed their lives, and they, too, were incredibly supportive of each other and entrepreneurial and competitive um, and became lifelong friends, a lot of them. When we started this today, what, one of the things that you, you noticed in, in going through this process was the idea or, or following these authors as they built their businesses. What did you learn in particular about the business building aspects that, that these women were doing that might be different uh, than what other authors might be doing? Well, during the three years I was shooting, the business was transformed. I mean, when I started um, shooting three years ago, three and a half years ago, to, to sort of publish your own book was called Vanity Publishing, and it was mm-hmm. frowned upon, and people who did it were thought to be failures. And then it was turned into self-publishing, and people were talking about it in whispers at the Romance Writers of America conference and saying, oh my God, so-and-so has done it and they did it successfully and they're sharing their, you know, what they know, what they learned. That's the other thing is that women share what they know. I mean, at these workshops that they do and in mm-hmm. general, they kind of are like, okay, I'll lay it out on the table. I'll tell you what I did. Here's how to do it. And it was whisper, whisper, though. They were terrified of the publishing houses finding out. And then the third year that I was shooting at the Romance Writers of America conference, there were like 12 workshops on, you know, indie publishing, self-publishing, and people were packed into those rooms, you know, packed to the rafters. And, you know, that transformation, it's the romance writers who've been the pioneers. They're way out in front because they're really, really good, you know, social networkers. I mean, they were early ebook adopters. They were really good at mastering social media to create their readership, to reinforce their readership, to encourage their readers to become writers. I mean, they really are a meaningful community. So they were in a really good position to self-publish because they already had, you know, a, a really, the ones who are established have a, have a presence on Facebook and Twitter and Tumblr and Pinterest and all the rest. And, you know, the extra step to indie publish was, okay, I need to hire a copy editor and I need to make my own cover and I will probably sell online and not sell in bookstores um, unless they were wildly successful and could pull off a deal like that. But they're figuring it out and they're sharing what they're figuring out with each other. And and so that's why, as, as a group, they seem to be so far ahead of the rest of us. And, and we're we're trying to catch up, but we're also learning from them at the same time. And, and we're seeing the way they're doing things and things like street teams that mm-hmm. two or three years ago, no one had ever heard of a street team before. I mean, they they did it in music, but it wasn't something that you did with books. Right. Um, and, and, and just... It seems like everybody that I heard early on that had sold a million copies of of you know uh, of their books over the course of a year, they were all romance writers and you know, Bella mm-hmm. Andre and and people like that. I think did you talk to Bella in, in oh, making yeah. this? Yep, Bella. Okay, in the you film. you talked to everybody. There's there. I saw a lot of big names on the website. I saw a lot of big names in the video, and mm-hmm. uh, it just what a. As a storyteller, we're all authors here listening to this. How do you take three years' worth of film and Mm -hmm. craft it into a coherent, interesting story? 
That was tough. It was really tough. I mean, I went into this knowing that the film was about the community, but thought I would tell it through, you know, the lives of these authors I was following through time. And I initially thought I would, you know, have a kind of beginning, middle, and end for each of these characters I was following. And I actually shot enough and long enough to really have a kind of complete arc for each of them. And Mm -hmm. I would show the film, people loved the characters, they were really intrigued, and they were exhausted because the film ended, and then it ended, and then it ended, and then it ended, and then it finally ended. And it was just (laughs) too much. And... Uh You know, at a certain point, um, I realized it was really a story of this community, and I didn't need to have a complete story arc. I could suggest a complete story arc for each of my characters, but I didn't have to sort of tie up each person's story arc or sort of resolve it or leave it unresolved in a sort of intentional way. And, And that was, you know, we... I sort of laid out sort of what the the progression was and what we were learning along the way. And we were able to like cut scenes, bring other things back in that it hit the proverbial cutting room floor. And, you know, the film began to sing and, you know, it wasn't, it was a very unusual structure and hard to come to. It was not a conventional sort of three act structure, which is what I thought it would be. You mentioned that you just finished cutting this, like, well, within the last... Well, we didn't just Go finish ahead. cutting it. So we finished cutting it about a month and a half, two months ago. But after you finish cutting it and you lock your picture, you then have mm-hmm. to do all of your sound editing. And we let the composer loose, com- composing music for to replace the music that we couldn't afford. And also mm-hmm. to sort of help tie the film together. And we also, you know, did sound effects. And so then at the very end, when you've had your, all your sound work done and you've got your music, you do a sound mix and you also go to a special post house and you do a color correction. Well, a sound mix takes about a week and a color correction takes about a week. And then you marry sound and picture. And that happened maybe a week and a half ago. And then you've got to bank the final digital copy of your film. And the computer at the post house crashed. <laughs> and anyway, it was an adventure. So we just finished last <laughs> you know, week. What you, and I should mention here that you sort of cut your teeth with this kind of thing working for NPR and, and all things considered, right? Not so much film, but uh, this way of gathering information and putting it into the form of a story. Yeah, it was NPR, and then I went and worked on uh, a history of Central America at Frontline, and I think the most profound experience, and it was a profound experience for all of us, was working on Eyes on the Prize, the series on the Civil Rights Movement. And I think Mm -hmm. this notion of giving a voice to people who aren't normally heard and telling history from the bottom up rather than from the top down shaped all of us. And I think we've all gone our own ways, but we stay in touch and we're all um, inspired to carry that work on. To a certain extent, uh, your career arc is similar to a number of listeners that we would have today who started in publishing at a traditional large publisher. 
and mm-hmm. the tsunami of change that you've experienced over the last few years means that they may need to change publishers or they may need to self-publish. They may need to become hybrid authors. Um, you you kind of went through the same thing where you're, you're part of an organization that had a budget to do all this work. And, and when you did Eyes on the Prize, I'm sure there was you, you weren't out raising money to do this. But for this project, you, you had a Kickstarter campaign and, and you're sort of responsible for going out there and raising. You're responsible for everything, essentially. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I'm the researcher and the producer and the fundraiser and the director and the writer. <laughs> I hire a camera person. I hire an editor. They're much better at what they mm-hmm. do than I could ever be. But then I'm also in charge of publicity and marketing at the end. So it's it's a lot like what we're all facing. If if we have to make that change, how how difficult was it for you, or or was it? Did you just throw yourself into it? Like this is absolutely fantastic because this is all me now. I don't have to pay attention to what these other people are are asking me to do. I can tell my own story. Well, I actually made the break back in the 90s. I sort of jumped out of the mothership. I was working at WGBH on the American Experience, the big series. And I was working there um, and helping lots of other producers get their films, you know, funded and made. And and I jumped off and started making films of my own. And the the name of the game for any independent filmmaker is to hustle. I mean, and that's been the case, you know, since, I mean, it used to be that a lot of the programs at WGBH were made by people inside with very secure salaries. And starting in the 80s and then especially in the 90s, they started farming it out to independent producers like me, um, who make the shows and hustle for a lot of their own money. Some of them are given their money up front, but very few. As you were making this film and you're following these six authors around and and you became exposed to a lot of other authors like Nora Roberts, who's sort of in her own world in in terms of just publishing in general. There are very few people that are at that level, but you no doubt saw a lot of people who are kind of in the same boat that you're in where it really is just all about the hustle and – running the business, uh, doing the marketing, farming out the things that other people can do better, and learning how to really to be a business person as as you're also working as an artist. I would argue that that's true for every romance author. It's not just some of them. I think that they all Mm -hmm. are independent entrepreneurs. If they're going to survive in this business, they have to market themselves. They have to, you know, build their own readership. And they can't just write books and hand them off to a publishing house to do the rest anymore. And that's been the case for a while. But the same kind of revolution that I saw happening in um, romance in the three years that I was working on this film, where the whole idea of being able to just upload your own book was possible and all the risks Mm -hmm. involved and the sort of flood of available content that results from that. And then the hard thing is to be visible um, in the flood of of new content. Um, The same thing is happening in my world where, Mm -hmm. you know, there's YouTube and there's Vimeo and everybody can get themselves an inexpensive camera and, you know, some people do really, really well, and most people don't do very well. But, you know, we're all hustling. I think, you know, more and more jobs that used to be secure require a kind of 
hustle because anybody can get in in an era of the internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you see? You're you're sort of straddling both worlds right now. You're in the film business, um, but you've been following the author business for for three years. What have you learned from the author business, and vice versa? What could we learn from the film business in in terms of either the hustle or marketing or production or any part of it? Because it, in a lot of ways, it 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 seems like they're fairly similar. They are similar in a lot of ways. I think that I was blown away by how many women who, well, first of all, how many women have day jobs and still manage to Mm -hmm. write two or three romance novels a year, which, you know, is astounding. Yeah, one of your guests was a surgeon of some type, right? um, That's right. and, And writing three books a year. That's right. So Len Burrow was a surgeon who stumbled while she was in medical school on uh, Giovanni's bookstore in Philadelphia. And she saw these little Nyad Press lesbian romances, and she said it was transformational. I mean, like, here were these stories that ended with a happy couple who were committed to each other, whereas all the lesbian fiction she'd read growing up ended basically in either insanity or suicide. And she said... You know, it changed her life, and she began writing them while she was a surgeon. And about 10 years ago, she started her own publishing house. She left medicine and started her own publishing house for gay and lesbian authors, and she's now got 120 authors around the world, and she runs her business from a barn, a renovated barn in her (laughs) farmhouse in upstate New York. That is awesome. But I was just really impressed by how knowledgeable authors were about their numbers. They're all, not all of them. Some of them can't stand that part of the business, but the ones who were into it, my God, they, they just knew all the ins and outs of the latest algorithms at Amazon and, you know, their numbers in their sales at different, you know, in different markets, they followed it and, um, were really like on it, um, in a way that, I, I guess there are some documentary filmmakers who are all over their numbers, but um, God, I don't feel like I have time to do that. But I also realized I need to learn, and I need to do it too. Mm-hmm. And, and what can we learn from filmmakers in, in terms of marketing and promotion? I mean, there, there's is is there something that's analogous to a film festival in the writing world? I don't think so. I can't. Could, I can't think of anything. Because it's, I mean, films are something that you watch with others. You know, it's it's a public event, mm-hmm. whereas books are normally something that you read by yourself. I mean, there might be book readings, but it's there's nothing quite comparable to a film festival where, you know, a film is released or a film is premiered. Um, I think that, you know, there are a lot of filmmakers who would, I mean, a lot of romance writers and other authors who would love to see their books made into films. And I think that they have a lot to learn about what makes a film work. I mean, the basic (laughs) principles of story structure are very similar, but it's really different when you're not just working with words, you're working with sounds and you're working with imagery. And, you know, there's similar things that one needs to think about in terms of plotting and pacing. Those are similar, but there are all these other dimensions to a film. And I think that romance novels 
a lot of them would make good films, but the film industry is pretty snobby about romance novels like everybody else's. <laughs> and, and so they'll buy, you know, uh, uh, um, Nicholas Sparks weepy, right. but they won't buy mm-hmm. a romance novel. And, and when they are bought, they tend to be made into, you know, movie of the week on lifetime rather than right. a kind of full Hollywood budget, um, you know, with great writing and great actors and, you know, all the rest. Well, you've had, over the course of the last few years, you've had really great access to a number of authors in a specific genre. What is, is Are there common themes that they're really excited about in the business right now? Because so many people are... They just see this, I keep using your term, the, the tsunami of change. They see the tsunami of change, and it terrifies them. But there mm-hmm. have to be people who are embracing it. Are, do you sense some of that in the community? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think there are people who want to write books that don't have an obvious market. And publishers, because they have to, you know, answer to their their stockholders, are are cautious and Mm -hmm. don't necessarily see the promise in different sorts of storylines and different sorts of subjects. And a lot of authors who have unusual ideas feel completely liberated that they can explore all kinds of things that they've been told over many years, you know, that doesn't have a market. Um, And they're like, no, 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 no. I mean, it's like Bella Andre was dumped by her publisher Right. Um, they didn't think that there was a market for her work. And she's like, I think you're wrong. And, you know, she went out and hustled and contacted all of her readers and told them that she was going to write the books that they'd been asking for. And, you know, she took off. But she's also very, very smart at marketing. I mean, boy, does she know her numbers. And she and Barbara Freedy and a bunch of others out in the San mm-hmm. Francisco area, you know, get together once a week or every two weeks and like put their numbers on the table and go, look, I tried this and it did work or it didn't work. And they're sharing their know-how and they're all learning together. So in, in, in their case, it's some really high end in terms of sales, authors getting together almost in the form of a mastermind group. And yeah. wow, that's, that's powerful stuff. And, and from what I've read, um, at least Bella Andre, I've read a few articles about her. It just sounds like she is a working machine. It sounds like she just works all the time. Yeah, I mean, she says that, you know, she's, she writes 25 pages a day, and she spends eight hours a, a day doing the business side of her business. I mean, <laughs> I you know, when does the woman sleep? And she's got kids and a husband, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's pretty amazing. Um, and, you know, she said, quite honestly, she said, you know, some this is not for everybody. You know, some people do not want to do this, but I love it. I want to be in control of everything. <laughs> and so she is. Um, and she thrives on it. Now, before we came on the air today, you, you and I were chatting, and, and you said that there is a tremendous amount of buzz and interest about your film up there. So let, it, let us all kind of be uh, the little bird on your shoulder and see what's going on. Tell us, tell us what's actually going on and, and how exciting it is up there for you. Well, um, our first screening was in a theater that seats about 500, and it was just about packed and mm-hmm. people loved it. So that was great. And then word gets around. And then the second screening 
was in, in an even bigger theater, and it also played to a pretty packed audience <laughs> and also got a great reaction. Um, and so I'm now doing lots and lots of meetings with broadcasters and distributors and sales agents and people who are doing these, you know, you know, crowdsourced theatrical companies where if there are enough people in a region, they're very new, but if enough people in a region get together, it's sort of like Kickstarter, but if enough people Mm -hmm. pre-buy tickets to a theatrical version of your film, then it will be shown in a theater in your area. And I think this film is a natural for that. I mean, they were basically kind of eating out of my hand wanting this film. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there's traditional broadcasting and there's all of these new, you know, uh, crowdsourced kind of theatrical. There's traditional theatrical. There's, you know, the, you know, educational market. I had a meeting with people in the educational market today and they really want the film. Um, so it, it's, it's pretty nice to be in a position where all these people <laughs> are making the offers and I get to sit and listen and, you know, explain what the film's about and, and who I think wants to see it. And, and then I'll have to go home and make some hard choices and try and figure out that, this business is changing as quickly as publishing is changing. It seems like mm-hmm. every month distribution, there were sort of tried and true patterns of, you know, you would do uh, make your film if it had any theatrical life, which very few docs do, it would have its theatrical mm-hmm. life. And then when it was broadcast, it would be brought out on educational um, you know, for educational distribution first and then for home video. And that was sort of it. And you know, now there are all these other ways. There's Netflix, there's video on demand, there's, you know, this uh, theatrical by demand. I mean, it's just, the landscape is changing um, right now. And so I've got to be pretty thoughtful about, um, you know, how to survive in the Wild West of filmmaking right now. I, I know when I started going to film festivals, there was... There was a sense that if I didn't get to see the movie while it was there, I'd never get to see it. And in the last couple years, I haven't had that sense anymore. And I just kind of keep it on a list. And they eventually show up somewhere where you can see it, whether it be iTunes or Netflix or some sort of video on demand thing. The whole idea of the uh, pre-buy enough tickets and we'll show it at a theater, that sounds fabulous. That, mm-hmm. I, I would love to get involved in something like that. That sounds like a lot of fun. And it, it's a user community kind of thing or a, a viewer community kind of thing. And with, with, with the subject matter that you've got, uh, there are a lot of reader communities that would love to get involved in that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, there are 140 chapters of the Romance Writers of America. And, you know, not to mention all the readers groups and you know, blogs and, you know, I mean, it's a huge community. 75 million people read, read a romance every year. And most of them read many, many more. I mean, they'll read, you know, a book a month, a book a week, a book a day. It's a huge industry. And, you know, they're voracious readers and they're passionate about the books and they want to speak to each other and they want to speak to the author and they want to tell the author what to write their next book about. And, and authors are listening. I mean, it's a, 
it's interesting how it's working. And and the same things are happening in, in the film industry right now with, you know, viewers being more involved and anybody being able to get their film out there through Vimeo or YouTube or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also, you know, Netflix is beginning to make original content now. So, you know, at this moment in time, which might not last, you know, if Netflix wants your film as sort of its own original content, you know, they're paying well for it. I don't know if that'll last, but, um, so. Well, your timing might be perfect. (laughs) Right. I hope. All right. So you've got a website for this. You've got multiple websites. It's is the best place for us to keep up with this particular movie, the love between the love between the covers.com website. Exactly. Love between the covers.com. And from there, you can also jump onto our Facebook page, which is we're actively, you know, updating it a couple times a day, our Tumblr, our Twitter. Um, and that is the one to, you know, sort of start. I would be great for people to like us at Facebook and to mm-hmm. follow us, Tumblr and Twitter, and they can sign up for an e-newsletter too. So at our website, lovebetweenthecovers.com, if you scroll down to the bottom of the page, there's a link that says follow, and you can sign up for our newsletter, and those are fun to get the sort of, like, latest info too. Like, where is it playing? Okay. What's happened? Um, you know, who am I talking to? You know, uh, just what's going on with, with the film? What, what awards did we win in, in Toronto? Or mm-hmm. Yeah, that too, hopefully. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time, Lori. I, I want to be respectful. I, I know you've got a lot going on up there. I can't thank you enough for agreeing to come on so quickly to do this. I will post uh, links to everything that you mentioned and that we mentioned during the show at uh, the website, and the link for this particular episode will be theauthorbiz.com slash lovebetweenthecovers. So you can go there. You don't have to remember all these different things to, to click through to and like. We'll, we'll have links there. So theauthorbiz.com slash love between the covers. Go ahead. So the other websites that are relevant, but maybe not, you know, I think they probably will have their handful with just love between the covers.com. There's a lot there, but um, my business, it's blueberry hill productions.com. And then there's the love between the covers film is part of a larger project called the popular romance project. And that has its own website called popularromanceproject.org. And there we started, um, we put that website up, you know, three and a half years ago when I started shooting interviews. So that website has excerpts from a lot of the interviews I've shot, which I think a lot of your readers, especially the romance authors who might read your mm-hmm. blog, would be interested in. But there's um, lots of talk about the business as well as, the community and the, you know, craft of writing, um, the history of romance, um, and also, you know, articles by blogs, by scholars and uh, industry insiders, editors, publishers, and they range from, and the scholars are from, you know, cultural history, literary history, pop culture studies, new media studies, psychology, talking about everything from, you know, Korean soap operas to, you know, medieval troubadour songs to, you know, indie publishing in the world right now. So, 
Well, I, I went to that site today and I, I find I had to pull myself away because you're right. There's so much content there that I knew I was going down a rabbit hole and uh-huh. I was going to lose my focus for this interview, which I wanted yeah. it to be about the movie and, and right. specifically about the romance authors as it relates to this movie uh, and, and your website, blueberryhillproductions.com. There's a lot of information about you, the films that you've made, and uh, it just there's a lot of great information. And I will link to all of that in the show Thank notes. You. Uh, Thanks. Thanks. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Okay, great. Thanks a lot. So there we have it. I hope you enjoyed listening to that as much as I enjoyed recording and editing it. It was great hearing an outsider's view of the author business. I heard a lot of interesting things in the interview, but there was one big thing that just jumped out at me. This group in San Francisco with Bella Andre and Barbara Freethe, where they get together on a regular basis and throw their numbers on the table and share what's working and what's not working. That's powerful stuff. If this were a group of technology entrepreneurs, we'd call it a mastermind group. And I really can't think of anything better to call it than a mastermind group. I know this is not something that's totally unique to the romance market. I know that indie authors are great at sharing information, but oftentimes they do it in forums and on blog posts. It's far less interactive than what's happening with these women in San Francisco, where they're actually sitting around a table and talking about these things. And that kind of give and take, even if it's around the digital table, like you're doing a Google Hangout or a a Skype conference call, I, I think you'd get a lot more out of that than just reading and thinking sort of by yourself about information that other people have shared. So would that help? Would it help you to be able to do that, to sit around the table, even a digital table, and discuss strategies with other authors? Seems like a great idea to me. Who can you get together with on a regular basis to to do this kind of thing? Give it some thought. Could you do it face-to-face? Are you in a town with some other authors? Or would it need to be digital? Would Google Hangouts work? Would Skype work better? The idea of mastermind groups is pretty hot right now in the entrepreneurial community, especially the online entrepreneurial community, where so many times you're just sitting in your house working, not unlike uh, an author, where you're just sitting and pounding on that keyboard all day long. Having that interaction with other people can be extremely valuable. So that's it for this week. You'll find the show notes at theauthorbiz.com slash lovebetweenthecovers. While you're there, sign up for the AuthorBiz email list. It's a great way to keep up to date with what we're doing on the show. And of course, if you listen on iTunes or if you listen on your iPhone, please give us a review or rating that helps other authors to find the information that we're sharing on this show. Thank you so very much for listening. Now go out and have a great week in your AuthorBiz, and we'll talk again soon.